Everybody, it's your dead girl wizard, or will she die? Who knows? Fighting in the game, fighting in the game. I used to sing that while I played Final Fantasy VII in college when I'd have friends over who didn't want to watch me play it. So I had to entertain them by making up songs while I played mm -hmm. the video game. Mm -hmm. It was just fight after fight after fight fighting in the game 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 a game a game game what's up everybody it is the final fantasy 7 remake what kind of bruiser are you today jake Ooh, i'm a whisper <laughs> oh i'm come. a whisper don't change anything don't change anything i'm a whisper <laughs> i don't represent the creators of the series own hang-ups about having to please the fandom <laughs> i'm just a spooky <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's right. We are finally we we gave you the uh, FF7 episode. We got to do the FF7 remake spectacular as the red carpet is being rolled out on Rebirth as we speak. I am so thrilled and excited to get to play this game. <laughs> I can't believe this existed. This felt like a internet rumor that would never actually happen. I mean, we were well, talking. it was. Mm -hmm. It was. Half the story of this game is they teased it as a proof of concept and just uh, the world's dumbest gamers kept not listening to them every time. They were like, no, no, we're not doing it. We're not. It would be too expensive and we're very busy. And by the way, I, I have distinct memories of like, they're going to remake it, like talk mm -hmm. in college. Yeah. So the game came out in 97, correct? Or was it yeah, 98? No, 2005 is the, we'll get into it, but that's when they did the tech demo. Yeah. And, and I would say around 03, 04 is when word of mouth was like, they're going to remake it. They're gonna. I don't even know where it came from. We just all collectively decided that they had to remake this game, and then they just did it. It was like the Sonic's teeth of JRPGs. You know, it just it just was so strange. Like we all just like conjured it real by deciding just deep down in our hearts that this of all the games, mm -hmm. the series is long. We're up to number sixteen at this point. Arguably, there are even. You know, I wouldn't say this, but some other fuck face at the, you know, uh, craft beer bar would say this, uh, that it's not the best Final Fantasy. Mm. I mean, honestly, you know, come on. Six is incredible. You know what I mean? I always find the Final Fantasy nine supremacists to be good people. I feel like they got their their eyes on the ball. Uh, I love Final Fantasy nine. Actually, Jake, it's funny you say that. There's also a lot of talk about a nine remake good. swirling. Good. Uh, I think six would be really interesting because the graphics are even more rudimentary, mm. you know, and the gameplay is even more outdated and whatever. And yet the game still truly holds up. But maybe the FF sevens that sweet spot because we had this awkward. It was like it was like games went through puberty or something, mm -hmm. you know, with the polygonal 3D 
changeover. It was this awkward phase where even the best of the best, if you look back on it, you're like, what is this blocky bullshit? What is this nonsense? Why did this guy have boxes for feet? Like, what is happening it's right so, now? So you're, you're bringing up a huge uh, kind of philosophical point with the Final Fantasy VII remakes is that it was such unbridled spectacle yeah. of its time. The CD-ROM disc format, the uh, polygonal in-game engine, even the CG cutscenes were all bleeding edge things that gaming technology really wasn't capable of up until that second. And they just went whole hog on all of these techniques and production methods. And they were making them up on the fly and I would also argue that it was Tetsuya Nomura adding these kind of edgelord, modern kind of cool anime inspired designs uh -huh. instead of the like fantasy and uh, or or at least uh, what what do you want to say? Uh, steampunky designs I was that had previously the phrase steampunk for sure. Mm -hmm. It had this very like hip, cool edgy new vibe to it that felt that felt yeah it was like oh final fantasy is cool now you know it's like final fantasy fucks and smokes weed now dude it's not just like trying to you know it's not just trying to be like stuck in the castle of lilori now you have to kill god and we're still gonna kill god in this game but you know it's we're gonna do it with a cigarette in our mouth we're gonna say the word shit and uh it just was immediately Immediately, I was drawn in. The second Barrett said the word shit, I was like, I am, this is my favorite game of all time. And so, but, but yeah, it has so many now looking back on it, like dated, you know, looks and vibes. I've gotten to experience this game so many ways too, leading up to the remake, because of course I played it in high school multiple times. I then went back in college and beat the weapons after a few years of, you know, not playing it cut to living in Queens in my early 30s and Lexi and I decide to start streaming on Twitch and doing Lexi Loves Game Night where I'm getting her to play through my favorite game from my childhood, Final Fantasy VII. I get another dose of perspective on that game and what it was in, in the time that it was in. And then cut to, you know, a few years later, and holy shit, they are announcing an actual remake of this game. And man, it looks good. And then it comes out and we play it. And man, all my worries I had about updating the battle system, getting away from menu-based battles stuff, but still having that inherent to the system and making it more active. Man, this feels good. And holy shit, does this not? Does this, it, it? It it goes way beyond. Oh wow, this is what I saw in my head. Like like with our BattleBots episode, right? It was like BattleBots now is what we saw in our head back when you mm -hmm. know when we think about watching BattleBots back in the day. Final Fantasy VII like surpassed that because there's character development stuff that we never got. There's like just everything, the look and the feel like somehow Aerith and Tifa are more beautiful. <laughs> and like I was going to get to uh, the first time we see Tifa in that like first person perspective. Yeah. And she's just looking the gamer right in the eyes. And here's just this immaculate 4K model of just 
the most welcoming and attractive woman that modern technology can conjure. Yeah. And like your heart skips a beat for a second, just like all those years ago when you saw her pointy triangle boobas. I'm telling you, we were in love with these characters as kids. Like, I shed a tear for Aerith. Like, I couldn't, I truly... Uh, spoiler alert. I'm sorry. I apologize for Holton. I can't believe he would just Well, sorry, but there's that disregard. one scene where she just farts that big stinky fart, and it's so stinky <laughs> that you just shed a tear, Jake. I'm sorry. It just makes you cry. It's so bad smelling. But yeah, I genuinely didn't know who to pick in, in the triangle between Tifa and Aerith. Like, and all that stuff is just brought... Ba and then here comes Jesse out of the blue, stealing my heart because she's like so cool with her weirdly <laughs> body forming steel breastplate. <laughs> she's awesome. She's like, actually, maybe Jesse's the better way to go because Jesse, hey, you can just like come home to her after a long day work and you guys are going to hang out on the couch. It's going to be normal and you don't have to deal with the, you know, uh, God energy or, <laughs> you know, tra like, tra you know, trauma you know and all that kind of stuff and I, I it it i don't even know how to describe it i think for people who love this game originally who are like there are just a lot of diehard fans of final fantasy 7 we're just we exist and we don't even understand it either sometimes because so many people are like what the fuck fuck this shit so many people have no understanding why people are this dedicated to it but for those of us that are i've never seen a better case of fan service i think in my life and it is astounding that it exists to me because it, it's like it's the same thing as like being i hate to invoke it but it's the same thing as like being a swifty is so rewarding <laughs> like being a final fantasy 7 fan has has with these remake games become so fucking rewarding it is just and, and we'll see second game's coming out we're not, you know, we're, we're, it's not done. We, we, they, they have plenty of time to fuck this up, mm -hmm. but it, it just really feels like, honestly, I am a little, I am a little wary that they are just going on with like the league of alternate reality Sephiroths. Yes. Cause there's tons of, uh, kind of supplementary material that refer to like each appearance of Sephiroth as a separate Sephiroth. Right. And so like, and the ending of the game and everything is hinting at this, like you can change the future with me. We, have, we are in control of time. Fate and all that stuff. All right, well, a couple things on that. First of all, I was at, I have a quote in here we'll get to later, but one of the main people involved essentially said, hey, don't worry. We're not gonna fuck your shit up too much with our changes. Like, we're not, don't worry, we're not going to, like, take your game away from you. Like, we're very sensitive to that. So that made me feel a lot better about all the story changes. But on top of that, Jake, one of the biggest pieces of lore about Final Fantasy VII was the fact that in the original version, or, like, the original idea was that you could go on this insane side quest and do all this crazy shit to eventually change the fate and of Aerith oh, and like bring her back to life. God. And it was cut for, for time and budgetary reasons, right? That's fascinating because like I remember being on the schoolyard and like there would be that one kid that swore like actually if you level up one random materia or if you find like, uh -huh. you know, it was like uh, finding Mewtwo behind the truck in Pokemon. Yes, Like totally, it, there was totally. these schoolyard rumors that there was a way to do it. 
there was something you could do to stop this inevitability. Well, it's because that I, I'd have to go in. I should have maybe done my due diligence on that. I'm, we probably talked about it, I'm guessing, in our uh, original episode of Final Fantasy VII, which was ages ago at this point. You know, I feel like we so much of life has changed since we did that episode. But regardless... Uh, I think it was kind of word of mouth because it it, it t- turned out to be true. I think inside the code, people found stuff or it was confirmed by the makers that, you know, they were planning on adding this crazy hole to get like the true ending or the good mm. ending or whatever. There was going to be this whole thing. And I loved that it didn't exist, though. Mm-hmm. I will also say that. So I will I will be a little bummed out if they like just totally pull that on us with the this series. Because I did, I was, back when this game came out, I was an angsty teen. I was, like, kind of becoming, like, a little disillusioned with life. And I really, really had a disdain for, like, happy endings. Mm -hmm. I love, because it felt so rare to see a movie. Because, you know, I should also mention, I wasn't a big horror fan at this point in my life. So um, I eventually found plenty of unhappy (laughs) endings in my life, like, with movies. But I just maybe wasn't watching necessarily the right movies. But I... I lo- okay, for example, I loved the movie Annie Hall, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the big reasons why I loved it is they don't end up together in the end. There isn't this top of the Empire State Building moment for them at the end of the movie. It's just like, hey, this relationship didn't work out, but it was monumental in both of our lives. And, you know, we'll always have these memories and, and we grew as people through it. But, like, it didn't work out. And it's not a happy ending per se. And I loved stuff like that. So here is a video game. I mean, especially in video games at this point, there is almost zero of that. There's not a whole hell of a lot of like deep artistry when it comes to narratives and things like that. They're oh just, no, people. You know? di- here, here's the thing though: people died in Final Fantasy games, but they were like marked for death, or they weren't a playable character. Right? They weren't someone that you could sink hours of XP of XP into. Someone you, you that didn't think you were going to fall and end up married to them at the end of the game, mm-hmm. like you did in Final Fantasy VII with Aerith. Aerith is like, in fact, marked for life. If anything, you know, like you're like, oh, this is the love interest. Like, you know, this is they. They just yeah, exactly. They 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 led you in, and then the ending ending of the game. It's not even just the that death. That death is like such a gut punch in the middle of the game, but then you jump to the very end of the game, and like the world does get destroyed, mm. and you know there's a slight nod to like then the world rebuilds itself, and you've got that kind of post credits moment. But even that post credits moment is dark because like. Everyone got wiped out. And now, yeah, like we're getting our kind of last of us nature coming back and taking back over the cities and stuff moment. But it's not like this triumph. There's still like all these fucking everybody on the planet's dead. And that was so profound and cool to me. So, yeah, I I definitely feel touchy about what their plans are for altering the plot. And they're definitely playing within the world of destiny and fate and because the whispers, I had to go look. I, I was looking up stuff on the whispers, and the whispers are—they appear when fate seems to be being fucked with. Yes, and they're there. They're like fate enforcers. They're there to like push things back into their correct orders, which which essentially well, goes to like sh- literally. Barrett gets stabbed by Zephyroth in the middle of the during the Shinra president murder scene. 
And the whispers literally just like go like, nope, nope, that's not how that happens. Yes. Like, get back so up. So clearly they're playing with like changing fate, which makes everyone go, oh, so you're going to definitely like alter what happened. Like, this is not just a straight up, we're just doing this game again with way better update, graphics yeah. and you know, way cooler fight mechanics and all this kind of stuff. We're, we're you know, and obviously, like, if spoiler alerts for Final Fantasy VII Remake, like, Zack shows up. He's he's supposed to be dead. He's just there. Like, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. He's this fundamental character. Cloud has, like, taken over his life, essentially, as as we're, we're supposed to come to find in later events in the original game. And, and essentially, that's what's going to happen in this game. Dude, I'm so fucking hyped for Rebirth, bro. I can't even believe it's, it's coming out. I'm so hyped I for this game. I just finally Kate Sith in full yeah, 4K dude, glory. Gold Saucer was, like, my one of my favorite parts of the original. There's so many moments in what's supposed to kind of go down in this section of game that I just adore that are just such fundamental favorite moments of the franchise or of the, of the original game that, you know, yeah. And gold saucer being a huge one, everything going on with like Barrett's old, like buddy, mm -hmm. like all the, I would just, I just got oh, I was super hyped. Cause I like, I finally broke down and watched the trailer that the final trailer, because I had already heard it serves up almost too much. <laughs> You know, and I'm I don't love watching trailers for things I know I'm going to be absorbing and kind of want to be hit with the first time. But man, I've never seen I, I would love I would challenge anyone to find a better instance of like and I'm I'm coming for you, BattleBots, with this of like perfectly bringing your nostalgia back to you in like an up-to-date way and again and again fan service i'm not talking about t and a mm -hmm. and that stands for tits and ass jake <laughs> which there's plenty of that in this game too but i'm not even talking about that kind of fan service i'm talking about just serving you up everything you loved about those first game that first game on um, and those three discs and just repackaging it in the most that like wonderful way i mean one of the biz biggest examples for me and we'll get into this stuff but my gush is going to be big this week jake because you know i'm a fucking i'm a i'm a i'm a gangsta i'm a ff7 gangsta all right my color is what's the ff7's colors kind of a Blue dark and green like white <laughs> yeah whatever you know what i mean don't come for me bro i will i've gotten mad at a dude at a party for saying that the game was bad and then he thought it was the one of the worst Final Fantasies. You know, I got mad. I got like mad. I made like an it, like I got I cursed a man. That's at weird. a party. That's weird. I went thinner, <laughs> and now he's wayfish. So I've I've got to get excited about it. Hello, Ed Larson and Amber Nelson from the brighter side here to check in with you. See how you're doing. Is your day more disappointing than a gas station sandwich? Are you trying to put one foot in front of the other in a glue factory? Did you try to throw your air fryer in the bathtub, but nothing happened because you were too lazy to plug it in first? Then the Brighter Side podcast is for you! Oh, yeah! Each week, we take nasty, dookie, stupid, dumb, stinky, no good, doo-doo factory, caca-like topics, and try to find the Brighter Side. Hey, Amber. Uh, what's the brighter side of waking up chained to a bed in Russia? Um, at least they have free health care. That's right. So start your weekend off right every Friday with the brighter side on the last podcast network. You beautiful babies.
but the the cross-dressing sequence oh, in remake in the Walmart district with Don Corneo. They it's like they took every what was inside of everyone's minds when it came to like the potential fun of what that was for us when we were younger and just perfectly served a modern hilarious version of it. I I don't think I've ever experienced anything any kind of joy like that like like I did with that moment and that's just one example of many times I experienced that joy playing remake of like man they just like knew exactly how to light me up as an original fan of this game with the way they like repackage this stuff that rhythm game thing <laughs> oh seeing cloud who like is still this weird blanks like trauma soaked blank slate uh-huh. just lose himself to dance yes. and like give 110 percent is so it like makes sense within the world that's one of the things that the remake did so perfectly which is take this bizarre set of like very disparate aesthetic things from like the grimy CG backgrounds and like this dark kind of uh, smokestack dingy city of lower Midgard and fully flesh it out into what felt like a fully breathing real city where there's an underclass and an overclass and corporate overlords. The bizarre monsters that you would fight in the original game uh, all find somehow like find a place like, you know, you end up. Hell House. They fucking updated yeah. Hell House. It was awesome. In remake in a way that was super awesome. Yeah, there's a you fight a giant house in the first <laughs> on with arms and legs. legs. It's so ridiculous. And yet for some reason, just with the way the graphics are and the way everything is given to you in that original game, it just it's not that crazy. But going into this game, you definitely have this sense of like, how are they gonna do the house? <laughs> how are they gonna pull off the house? And then like it, they throw the house at you. It's such a fun memory. I think you first meet the house in the battle arena, right? Mm-hmm. That's when they do it in this whole battle arena sequence. And it's such a fun, holy shit moment. And like the game is just packed with that. I, I'm they just they just get it. I feel like they get it. And everything I've read, like everything I researched this week, I mean, over and over again, it was two things. We wanted to take the old and bridge it with the new and like make sure there is some feeling of the old, like, especially when it comes to like the battle system and everything, we want to like bring some of that without bringing all of it into an active battle kind of thing. We want old meets new, and we want to make a game that both the original fans and totally newbies alike will enjoy equally or whatever. Even though I, I, I think you'd be hard pressed for a person newcomer to the game to enjoy it as much as hey huge fan of the original it really feels like especially with the whole whisper thing Mm -hmm. like it's like the idea that you know what's supposed to happen is like super clutch for the emotional impact of a lot of moments yes yeah it's like they're fucking with your expectations Mm -hmm. in this really fun way which i love which i I love i love and that kind of reminds me of the excitement i had around the evangelion redos Mm -hmm. because that was the same thing where it was like what are they like 
it's so dedicated to the original, but they keep throwing these little things in and making me go, oh shit, this is different, but it's this, <laughs> it was, it's great. I love it. Let's get into it. Final Fantasy VII Remake. It's the game that centers around Cloud Stripe, who first joins an eco-terrorist group called Avalanche to take down the evil mega corporation Shinra before it uses up all the planet's essence as an energy source. Then you got Sephiroth in the mix. Is he a god? Probably. You're going to fight him at the end? Yeah, probably. Is there a dead girl? Maybe. We'll see. Let's find out in the second game. This is a trilogy, uh, which kind of was mind blowing when we first found that out. Uh, the we did, three we, discs in the original. Why not? Why not three discs in the original? We'll get into why they decided to make it into a trilogy. At first, I think a lot of people felt like it might be like a Hobbit movie style cash <laughs> grab, but I think it actually does make a lot of sense to fill it out, turn it into a trilogy of games. Uh, the second game of the trilogy, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, is due out the month of this recording. Can't wait for it. Very exciting. Um, so let's get into the background a little bit. Now, we cover this. Honestly, just go listen to that uh, first uh, original episode we did on the on the uh, first Final Fantasy VII, the, the OG 1997 one. That'll give you an extensive background, but just a little cliff's notes on that. Final Fantasy VII, it was directed by Yoshinori Katase, produced by Hironobu uh, Sakaguchi, the Gooch. The Gooch is back in town. The Gooch is back, and he wants a smooch, and he'll get it any way <laughs> he can. Uh, Sakaguchi has the high honor of having created the Final Fantasy franchise, and Katase is known for having directed the series' biggest hitters, Final Fantasy VI. Also, Chrono Trigger, not a Final Fantasy game necessarily, but still one of the biggest hitters for Square. Part of the great Square. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and actually, uh, Intergrade and Rebirth are serving up a little bit of a similar uh, attack mechanic, uh, a team-up attack mechanic that we got Ooh. in Chrono Trigger. So a little bit of a DNA lineage there uh, to that game. Uh, development started in 1994 with their intention initially being to put it out on the SNES. They later jumped to the new PlayStation console as they find they can work with a lot more and do it better on a CD-ROM format. Uh, they begged. They begged Nintendo. They were like, buddy. Buddy, you gotta, you gotta just put your games on a storage medium that is pennies to produce on the dollar and can carry like at least seven hundred times more game data. Please, please. And Nintendo was like, eh. and lucky me, Christmas nineteen ninety eight. My mother went into the electronic gaming boutique to get me a PlayStation, and I want to kiss whoever the fuck she talked to that day who recommended her to get the PlayStation and the very first game to go with it for Christmas, Final Fantasy VII, uh, with a TV VCR. I never had to leave my room again, and there and thus... Oh, well, you know what? <laughs> the N64 kids had Quest 64 and Hybrid Heaven. <laughs> So, you know, we were doing fine. Hey, we I, were doing I rented right. an N64 uh, multiple times, especially to play Ocarina of Time. Okay. I was definitely jelly. Paper Mario was pretty good. Paper Mario was There was, was a fine. plan uh, oh, for God. a remake uh, on the PS2 back in the early 2000s, which is probably how that rumor ended up coming my way in college. Uh, but this initial effort never happened. Uh, now, let's talk about the long road to get to this remake. Another person involved in the original game as a character designer was Tetsuya Nomura. He is also responsible for Kingdom Hearts and directed the 2005 film Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. This movie is very 
important. <laughs> Without Advent Children, I don't know if we get to remake. And the reason why is because Advent Children, and even if you go back and look at it, it's not a one-to-one to the character models of remake, but you can see that it creates this like little step in between. A lot of work was done to make these designs and make this world at least viable. Like the, the initial heavy lifting of how do we turn these blocks and blurry JPEGs yes. into a fully realized HD world? Yeah, in original Final Fantasy VII, you you have a bunch of you have like different versions of the characters, right? You've got like the 3D polygonal kind of moving around in space, really blocky versions. But you also do have these cutscenes where they're a little more realized, but they're still like you know, cartoony and silly and out of proportion. And then you have like the booklet and those amazing designs, character designs where they look a little more realistic. And you can kind of, you kind of have to look at all of it and create your own version of like what these characters actually look like. But it was Advent Children where they said, hey, this is the like, what they kind of in a true, I don't even know what to call it because it's not realism. It's this really interesting mix between anime cartoon and 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 realism yeah that that they found this really nice balance that's a slick look for the characters that lo- makes them look really interesting a little otherworldly but more steeped in reality than you get in the video game and it was kind of this proof of concept for what a modern day like or more up-to-date graphically looking you know version of ff7 could look and feel like and Evan children was also really important because before Evan children was spirits within <laughs> which is this huge disappointment for both the fans of final fantasy games as well as for square financially Do you it understand was- how much of a disaster like square were the kings of shit mountain before spirits within god i love shit mountain i love <laughs> licking shit mountain and why shit mountain jake why because all- they're <laughs> i mean it's just a name it's actually gold and chocolate but still <laughs> okay weird weird naming convention but that, like that. just to buy like they had to buy all of the hardware to render the thing yeah and it's they did it in hawaii which they thought was a smart idea because it's halfway between america and japan but like actually getting anything imported or done there is like three times more expensive. Right. Right. Like it's such a, it was such a folly and the, and the, the movie tanked at the box office. Uh-huh. So they were never even close to recouping it. Like they got high on their own supply. Cause you know, final fantasy seven introduced all these modern elements and introduced all of these, uh, sci-fi. I mean, there was some like Magitech stuff in, uh, six and others in other, games but like they went full hog wild on this sci-fi move so it didn't even really look like there i can't believe Final Fantasy. there's there's staples about final but you don't need to get too far into spirits with them but there are staples of every final fantasy game every final fantasy game has chocobos moogles usually crystals this that and the other and it was just my bahamut or two it was mind-blowing that they would put out a movie with final fantasy in the title and not even include the things that every fan of every Final Fantasy game knows is in every single Final Fantasy in whatever form. You know, it just made no sense on many levels. It looked amazing, uh, of course. It was, like, definitely pushing what, you know... Really? Well, I guess in hindsight, I don't know. For the time, it was graphically, you know, in terms of CGI, it was, like, definitely, I feel like, a kind of a 
big showcase it, for. But really, all it did was showcase the limitations of the art form. Ah, yeah. But you yeah. know, uh, Advent Children came out and they had uh, Kadaj and Lowe's, so that's pretty cool. That's pretty and and Yazu. <laughs> The three like baby Sephiroths that just hang out yes. and like do bullshit. And, and lore is being created. There's also Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core, which came out on the PSP, which actually is getting re-released, which is badass. And that adds some plot element stuff that actually is getting included in these remake games. This is this is all known as the compilation of Final Fantasy meta series. Mm. Yes, which includes things like uh, Japanese only episodic java games for flip phones to uh psp games like dirge of cerberus and uh uh what was what's the other one um crisis core yeah crisis yeah, crisis core is the one i was saying that one came out on the psp that was the ff7 yeah, yeah. which one had gacked that was Nickelodeon. Japanese that visual was Nickelodeon. No, no. Toys R Us. With a it was tea. awesome. I love it. I think Dirge of Cerberus had Gak. When are we going to do the Gak episode, Jake? Before we get let's not He's even... mentioned. He's mentioned as uh, there's like one line where Hojo's like, and of course the G type soldier uh, in like uh, tier. And like that's that's Gak's character. Either way, uh, let's get back to Tetsuya Nomura, um, who uh, directed FF7 Avid Children, Kingdom, uh, Kingdom Hearts. Nomura got into drawing at the age of three and applied to this to the creation of his own version of a popular board game at the time, Sugoroku. In middle school, his father introduced him to computers and bought one for him on which he went from video game enthusiast to programmer of his own games. He was notably super into Dragon Quest and later Final Fantasy, and he initially got hired at Square as a debugger for Final Fantasy IV. And after some training, he got to design monsters for Final Fantasy V, and then was graphic director for Final Fantasy VI, then principal character designer for FF7. Throughout the 2000s, while working on stuff like Kingdom Hearts, it was Nomura that started conceiving what a remake of that game might look like. At the same time, a groundswell arose from fans online and in games media, with folks clamoring for Square to create a modern remake of FF7. Uh, Yoshinori Katase... Of course, another huge major player in this whole thing said we were on the U.S. media tour for Final Fantasy 13 and we took on a bunch of interviews and we got a ton of questions from reporters asking, when are we going to make the Final Fantasy 7 remake? Just hearing that so many times, I did think that we would do it one day. That's for certain. So he returns to Tokyo. He hits up Nomura about a remake at that point in 2009. And essentially, they made this thing out of fear. They were just so afraid someone else at Square would grab this torch and run with it. And they feel so protective over this original project, this IP, that they knew they had to get it going themselves to give it to, to do it right, to give it the justice it deserves. So, But besides them and Kazushige Nojima and Motomu uh, Toriyama, who worked on the original FF7 game and signed on to co-write the remake, most members of the team were actually those that played it as a fan. And this is really, really important to... to understand going into the making this game like the majority of people love this thing from the other side of it and and you need that balance of like having original people who created that first game as a part of it and maybe kind of more at the head of things but there's so many people there who are actually almost more protective over it mm. because they're a fan that that keep it on the rails in a certain way that it's so important and again it's that balance it's all about balance with this remake game it's all about having these kind of 
middle way between fan and creator and and between newcomer and old comer old timer and you know modern gameplay uh uh design versus old so uh this includes the two designers that round out the core team naoki hamaguchi a different gooch (laughs) and taruki endo hamaguchi worked on ff12 and 13 endo got his start with capcom's monster hunter series Mm. hamaguchi said as a fan who played and enjoyed the game back in the day here he backs up my point right here i think i bring a different approach to the project i was looking at how we can remake it for the modern audience from a fan perspective which is quite different uh, to the original creative's perspective. And so they're really trying to keep this thing in balance uh, in that way. And they wanted to make a game, you know, of course, that could be enjoyed by all as well. So one of the first big elements of this remake is this battle system. I love the battle system. Are we, wait, did you did you skip right past the tech demo? Uh, talk about the, tell me about the tech demo. Oh my God. Demo. All right, all right, all right. So Sony... Good friends with Square at this point. Really just like bosom buddies. You don't, you, Final Fantasy is now a PlayStation uh, exclusive, you know, one of their, their leading brands. And Square is working hard on Final Fantasy 13. But Sony really wants to show something for the PlayStation 3 unveiling. And so Square drops all work to create this tech demo that first is shown in 2005. And um, it's just a couple of minutes long, but you can download it directly (laughs) uh, to your system. You can like really make things, you can like people downloaded this thing just to watch a cutscene, And it starts with Aerith and the life stream and this like real time rendered uh, Midgard, which is basically just a bunch of pipes it's just a pipes and steam in a dirty alleyway. But as Aerith kind of walks down, she, the city zooms out. There's more people walking by. It's that weird, like, interlaced, you know, PS3, Xbox 360 era kind of uh, footage. And you get to see the city of Midgard. And the title shows up, technical demo for PS3. The uh, This gets people super horny hornier than they've ever been for a final fantasy 7 remake yes it created the um of course the horrific jizz explosion <laughs> incident of 2008 a couple people drowned it was a bad it was at it was actually at a saint patty's day parade uh very unfortunate this it was yeah it was unveiled in e3 2005 and this was never meant to be a remake this was just supposed to be well we don't really have a lot of Final Fantasy 13 to show yet. We got to put something together. Uh, this is brand new hardware for us. This are, these are semi-HD assets that we don't have a lot of experience putting together. In fact, putting this, like, again, two-minute little just chunk of recognizable characters in a recognizable setting set the production of Final Fantasy 13 back a couple of months because it was so resource-intensive. And from then on out, Every interview with either Nomura or Kitase or anybody else involved was like, so when are you going to finish that remake we saw in 2005? And they had to keep ah, saying, okay, no. That's why they're getting hit up with that. Because I did have the quote about them getting hit up a bunch, but I didn't include the part where there was that amazing tech. I forgot about that tech demo. Yeah. 
And I don't want to get into, uh, honestly, Final Fantasy 13 has its own like drama behind it from the hallways to lightning and her return uh, that we shouldn't get into. But like the entire Final Fantasy machine was already dedicated to just like their mainline games. There was literally no room to make these Final Fantasy 7 remakes that everybody was now demanding because of this one-off tech demo. And did you uh, do you have stuff on the CyberConnect uh, drama? No, I don't have anything on the CyberConnect drama. I'm scared of it. I feel like it's the kind of thing where if we talked about it too much, like my... Like I'll get uh you know crypto attacked or something you know what I mean. So what year what year did CyberConnect get involved? CyberConnect Two is a uh, well established Japanese game development studio. Uh, they've worked on the Street Fighter series. They are known for their really good cutscenes. They're known for their action gameplay. I know them as the creators of uh <laughs> of Asura's Wrath, which is one of my favorite guilty pleasures. Uh, they're also, I guess they're most well-known for for all of the uh, Naruto fighting games that came out over the years in the 2000s. Asura's Wrath is uh, great. People love it. It's a great, it's a great. I mean, they don't. They don't. It sold very poorly. It cost a ton of money. Uh, it was an unprecedented disaster financially. I guess people who love it love it because it gets brought up all the time as this batshit, crazy, mm -hmm. fun as hell likes game that, yeah, not enough people played. Okay, so yeah, I'll definitely give you that. April, can you play Yasha's theme from uh, Asura's Wrath? It's just so fucking hype. Goddamn, goddamn, what a hype game. What a stupid, stupid hype game. Anyway, they figured CyberConnect 2 is really used to cool cutscene spectacle, edgy kind of like violence, and they got like a reasonable reputation behind them. They'll outsource it. They will like, look, you know, oversee it, but it'll be CyberConnect 2 that does the bulk of heavy lifting on a potential Final Fantasy remake. They announced the Final Fantasy remake was at 2015. And at this point, it's still CyberConnect that is like on on the team that is like doing the bulk of this. And something happens. And to this date, it is all very kind of blurry and kind of shrouded in polite Japanese corporate, you know, uh, manners that they never said if like what exactly happened between the two companies, but they just kind of say, or at least Square says that there was workflow and uh, production inconsistencies between the two companies and they were unable to work together. Whether that means CyberConnect was going uh, in a weird direction that they didn't want to go or they were working too slow or something, I have no idea. But it was eventually decided that if they were going to do this, it was going to be done internally. And that's when the team of Nomura and Katase and all the other people you mentioned were finally tapped and like getting to make this their own way. I know Nomura says that like he wanted it done before everybody gets too old or like someone start or, like people start dying off. Yeah. But 
Uh, he also claims that he didn't even realize he was the new director of the game until he saw like a corporate rele video release. Uh. Like until he saw the trailer that was like uh, directed by Nomura and he was like, oh, cool. <laughs> so it's one of the newcomers is Taruki Indo that is responsible, largely responsible for this old meets new battle system that they came up with. And it really is one of I think it's probably my favorite battle system of any Final Fantasy game. And that includes six. I was actually a, a little disappointed six didn't take more notes from the incredibly engaging battle system of FF7. Nomura said. I do have this idea of how Final Fantasy battles should be and should feel. We want to still keep this strategy element uh, in which the player will consider the elemental weaknesses of enemies during battle while using these action moves and being engaged intact. That was always my core belief in how we should approach Final Fantasy battles. I thought this was truly vital to this game. I didn't want it to be a game where it's a reflex-type action and reflex-based battle. We wanted to combine all of these elements. And essentially what the game does is you have... They call it like the ATB, which is cool, because the ATB <laughs> active time battle system is what the original was referred to. And it's essentially menu fighting, but the faster you choose your attack like the faster it'll pop off in the game and if you're sitting there staring at menus i mean you're you can get hit and stuff it's a lot more active as opposed to a passive time battle where everything pauses when your command pops up and you get all the time in the world to choose what you're going to pick it, it made it a really engaging system originally even it was like a very tense situation where you're just trying you're trying to make the correct move choose the right thing quickly enough it, it, i liked it a lot in this game of course, they have to bring it into the modern age. So you're you're hitting square to attack, you know. I mean, you're like dodging in real time, that sort of thing, right? You're you're out there in the field, but you're when you have a gauge that fills up, you can choose these commands and depending on how you play it, you can go full active by the way or full classic mode if you want where but I the best is that sweet spot between where you're you know attacking with button presses and stuff like that but then when it's time to like choose a command everything slows down for mm -hmm. you to pick the command and pop it off but the real cool part of it is even if it means you're just milliseconds away from watching the airbuster fire 800 missiles yes. directly into tifa's face yes totally the real cool part of it though is you hit like i think it's r1 or whatever you pop over to your buddy and pop off a you know meter filled attack on them by buddy you don't mean your real life friends you no. mean a computer representation of mr t with a with a chain gun for an arm i'd argue they're better friends <laughs> they're more consistent they're more they, they 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 talk about their love for you a lot more in the game um yeah exactly your party like yeah 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 My, your wife gave birth to your child but like tifa made a wonderful cocktail wonderful cocktail so delicious i could taste it you're popping around to each different member of your party. And once the, the system clicked in for me, I was so engaged and loving it. I'm just, and really the key was to constantly be rotating from person to person, popping off these different abilities. And then that limit break hits, and then you pop that off and you're timing different things. And, you know, you also have materia and magic and all these different types of commands the materia is essentially what you slot into your weapons to do different magic attacks and things like that. You're playing off of the enemy's weakness. 
much less than summons come into play way early, by the way, because summons in the original game, you don't get your first summon until after you leave Midgar. The events of the first game get you all the way through up to leaving Midgar. But they come in in the first game, which is like a wonderful, fun surprise. And summons kind of act like FF10 a little bit and and, and um, kind of the more modern games. and uh, Other games in the series past FF10, but still, you're like bringing... I think Final Fantasy XV also had this, I do believe, where you bring, you kind of, you summon them, they come in, and then you're like choosing attacks for them to hit and stuff and they're like with you for a while it's not just one like big attack and then they do but they still do a big cinematic final attack yes they, they do a out. big cinematic final attack and you can like build up their meter though to do like lesser attacks that use less meter or you can wait and build that meter like all the way up and do like a big crazy right it, it's cool there's a lot of strategy there it's a lot of fun so this this really is you know they talk a lot about balance it's like very you know press packety in a lot of ways they always talk about the finding the balance the old versus the new the new gamers oh the old my gamers. god there was but a documentary man, called the making of final fantasy 7 remake oh available god. through the official square channel i watched all of you it. did it was so it boring. was so boring with just a series of japanese men this. repeating the same thing well, you know, I wanted to give something to longtime fans so yes. that they would feel rewarded. And, but also, and also, I wanted to make it for new players. Yeah, and then they cut to a different guy who would say the exact same thing. I know. That's why I probably, I've, I've already said it about eight times in this episode. But I will say, more so than anything else, it is so true when it comes to the battle system. It is this perfect fucking balance of active and menu-based, of old school and new school. And I think it is the strongest... Might be the strongest Final Fantasy menu uh, or, or active battle system at the very least, much less of all battle systems ever. You know, I, I just think it's just wonderful. And again, I was like almost surprised that it, they didn't have more of that. They didn't actually fully just adapt that to FF16. FF16, you only control one person. It's an active battle system, and it's it's very like cooldown based. But I just thought this they just nailed it. So I was very excited for that. It makes sense that uh, Taruki Endo was the Monster Hunter world guy. Because yeah. that was, it's another classic series where you're fighting these massive monsters with huge health pools. But you have to keep it dynamic. But you're also managing gear right. and XP and abilities. Right. Like, totally. In, all while it's happening on the field. It totally makes sense. Uh, and it also makes sense, therefore, why it was broken up into three games. I think nailing this battle system down... And like perfecting it in this first game was such an undertaking that it would have been so hard for them to then also go, now there's a world map and there's all the events that happen after Midgar. It's just so insane uh, of a, a, a mountain to conquer. And then, of course, they took what was seven to ten hours of gameplay in the original with with the whole opening part where you're in midgar and then you leave seven uh ten if you take the stairs at the ship yeah, ten if you take the stairs at the building you know they they took that and they expanded on it so so much and i think it was kitase who said like so obviously when we first undertook this i immediately had to go it was it had been so long i went back and played the first game and I was shocked at how quickly you leave Midgar. I think as a kid, too, I feel the same way, where it's like, I, as a kid, that was like 30 hours or something. You know what I mean? It was Because so... it was all new. Everything that you were witnessing, everything you were experiencing yeah. from the characters to the universe to the, uh, to the battle system was just so unlike anything you had ever experienced 
that every single second of that was a new memory, was a new thing burned into your brain. Mm -hmm. But from a production standpoint, like you're rendering an entire city and you're rendering all these characters that you don't see again in the, or they die in the regular game. Yeah. So like, it's just not a feasible way to do it. If you're living in the HD 4k era, cause it's, it's one thing to like make a little JPEG for your background, which obviously was its own challenges because they were dealing with new technology, but like, you got to build this shit. You got to like make all this shit. And the idea that you just like blow past it for a single sequence is like ludicrous. Yeah. It's, and then on top of that, they just wanted to give everything more depth than they were able to give it in the first game. And I think people were very pleased with that. Like, I mentioned Jesse already, also Biggs and Wedge. These are characters that we remember from the first game, but they were able to take them and completely fill them out and give them entire storylines. In and the case of them... Wedge, really filled them out. He's a big boy. All right, He's a please. Big, but yeah, big boy. You remember all these characters, but they were so much more like uh, condensed and and it was so much smaller, much less... Midgar, it's a huge place. And in the original game, you really mostly get the slums of Midgar. And then, of course, there's the reactors. You do not see the whole idea that they're like, oh, the the upper class lives on the upper plates. And yes, like they literally do not show the upper plates in the old game. They had to create that whole cloth and give that perspective like they from from yeah that didn't exist in the old game and that's why you get that awesome jesse storyline where you go with her to like her home or whatever up above the plate like and get to experience all that so you see you know you only really get a taste of what's above the plate in that very opening cutscene. that's pretty much it. if you've never played the games the uh city of midgard is uh built like a giant piece of pizza with a big industrial power plant slash office building in the center and on the top of the pizza, where the toppings are, are uh, fancy suburbs and gleaming office towers. And then at the bottom of, like, the stuffed crust of the pizza is uh, uh, unimaginable poverty and suffering and genocide. Yes, absolutely. Just so you understand. Absolutely. So, of course, also, you know, they have to futz with the uh, character designs, uh, for sure. And they definitely originally considered just using those realistic models from Advent Children. But then they they were like, you know what, we need to fully create new designs and we kind of need to combine this uber-realistic Advent Children approach with a little bit more of a anime cartoonish stylization that you get in that original game uh, to kind of kind of make them this feel like this otherworldly thing. Nomura was in charge of these new looks for the main characters, and not only did they futz with the look of the characters a bit, but they also made changes to their personalities. Namely, with Cloud, you mentioned Cloud kind of getting lost in that dance competition thing, right? Like that original Cloud would never have done that. Original Cloud was the dickhead middle schooler that mm-hmm. we all were. At least I was. He didn't talk a lot. He was too cool for school. He was just always like, uh, ragging on anybody he or anything he was talking yeah, to. Yeah, just very edgy, gr- you know, grunge era kind of vibes, right? Which worked great for the time. But times have changed, and I think people wanted to see a cloud that you know was a little more human a little more like you know and and they played with the cool edgy badass protagonist thing that he tried to put out but they said hey what if though like that's all a front 
because he's because uh, that's inherent to the plot of the game. It is all a front. So let's have him. Let's see some cracks. Let's in the in the facade. Let's let's see this some cringy character elements come out in moments with him, right? Where where it's like you're not actually that cool, bro, and. You know, this really was based in the idea of like giving the character more depth and saying Cloud is so eager for acceptance, so eager for respect from his peers and everything that he puts on this front. But there's this real person underneath it all. And we get to like see that. And that adds so much more depth to the character. Also, it just makes it more understandable that people would like him. You know what I mean? Because I feel like in the first one, it's like, every, you know, he's such an anime protagonist. He's like such a Mary Sue in a way wherever he's just like doing nothing to deserve it and everyone's just like you're amazing you're i'm in love with you oh, you know what i mean there was some great analysis by uh games critic maddie myers who broke down how in remake uh they really actually take the love triangle between tifa cloud and Aerith and make something like more believable out of it besides just ooh, you're the edgy boy i love you the most like mm -hmm. tifa is cloud's childhood friend and she's like she wants to bring that old cloud back out. She's there just being like, why are you acting different? Why are you so fucked up? Like, come on, like, cheer up. We can do this. Like, come back to us. Right. Aerith is, you know, the last of the Cetra, the ancient that was been like gone through so much bullshit and is just like, find someone else that has equally been fucked with and broken. And it's like, Hey, let's just hang out and not talk about all the ways that the Shinra Corporation has ruined everything we hold dear. Uh huh. And their relationships kind of work. They both are believable. And Tifa and Aerith just immediately become actual friends. Their friendship is super believable. And they both rag on Cloud. Like they both have a mutual love of just like, man, get a load of this weird guy, right? Like, it's, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just feels so much more realistic than the borderline harem anime vibes of the original. Absolutely. The character development is so much more fascinating, and they just were able to fill out the world so much more. We already talked about, you know, showing what was above the plate. I wanted to mention the writers credited on the project for the script are Kazushige, Nojima, and Motomu Toriyama. It was Nojima that wrote a lot of the, like, initial stuff, and then when Toriyama was brought in as a co-director, he rewrote a quite a bit of that work once he joined but they definitely collaborated a lot in the process and they uh one of the big things that they wanted to explore was the stuff that might have been happening off screen during the events of the original game nojima said we had conversations such as what are the turks doing right now or what kind of character from the compilation of ff7 would appear here and etc katase said for example after cloud fell into the sector five slums what was tifa doing how did she get into that Chocobo wagon that took her over? Uh, took her to Corneo? We had a few things planned during the first half of production, but due to time restrictions, we had to cut it out. But they still expanded on so much of that stuff and made a lot of like very dumbed down kind of simple plot elements of the original. They they found ways to make them complex and interesting. The whole Corneo seg sequence was done so well, and that was such a fan favorite sequence in the original that they just nailed it's like a fan favorite but also like kind of cringy and yeah icky yeah, is a better totally, word totally. uh and they really sure. like you know corneo is still a uh horrible care a horrible person in the universe but like instead of the like getting a dress for cloud as just this weird like borderline like humiliation kink gender shaming affair it's weirdly empowering and nice and like cloud feels like 
happy a little yeah. as a beautiful girl. Yeah, it's cool. I, I really like what they did there. And then, of course, we have to get into the fact that they are making some major fundamental changes uh, to the plot in this first one in ways that made the original fans go, holy shit, essentially. they Nomura said, when I requested a scenario to Nojima... I first thought, if I'm to create the FF7 remake, I would like to do it this way. I then conveyed my ideas to him. During that phase, I planned to make this be more than just a mere remake. For example, the battle system this time around is in real time instead of using ATB gauge. And with that, the story itself took a turn that isn't just the basic FF7, but something new. That's the kind of story I wanted to create. We thought to have only a subtle change where in the ending you see Biggs alive, which makes you think, wait, this is weird, and gives a slight sense of unease. But then the staff thought, well, if there's room for more scenes, then let's just add it. And one of the major changes, one of the big initial holy shit moments is just the fact that we get way more Sephiroth. Oh, yeah. Way earlier on. Like, Sephiroth is really much more alluded to well throughout the Midgar sequence and into the world map sequence. You're like chasing I Sephiroth. I mean, the Cloud has time. magic migraine uh, magic migraine time throughout the game yes. where he just grabs his fart and goes like, uh, and then Sephiroth shows up and is like, I'm not supposed to be here. Yes. You kind of know I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> That's a huge part of it for sure. I mean, essentially you don't get the lore drop on Sephiroth till what we're probably going to be enjoying right up top in Rebirth, where they go to the town of Calm and they go into the hotel room and essentially Cloud just, like, drops this huge flashback on everybody that expl- that introduces Sephiroth and, like, shows us how terrifying he can be. Like, we don't get any of that in what would be, you know, the events of the first game or the, the, the fir- you know, the events of the first disc. You know what I mean? I mean, we get full one-winged angel in this game and that yeah, doesn't happen crazy. for a while. Uh, it's, it's really wild. So... The the uh, and then of course the other major divergence you did the character up top for your bruiser the plot ghosts <laughs> as Maximilian Dude <laughs> refers to them uh, or uh, you could say the the whispers as they are referred to in the game and the whispers as we already mentioned they exist to keep fate on course uh, and it just the whispers was the big one for sure like where you're like this is fucking not my Final Fantasy VII what is happening right now. Um, and I think that was really pretty brilliantly done, honestly. You know, also, Aerith, uh, as well, seems to be aware that they are in an alternate timeline, mm-hmm. which is really crazy. And the wild, the biggest mic drop moment is a live Zach being reintroduced at the end of the first game as he is this pivotal character. It's fucking but nuts. But the dog is different. The, the the soldier dog is different, so maybe it's an alternate reality. Yes. Maybe we're dealing with a multiverse bullshit here. Which, which I, honestly, uh, again, I, I said yeah. this before, I'm a little, we're all pretty multiverse-like uh, sick at this point. I know. So if they're just going to go full Rick and Morty and be like, don't you realize things are different on the mathematically feasible parallel universes? And you're like, yeah, I know. Right. I know. Well, this quote from Katase did put me at ease a bit. I was actually very happy I found this in the research. He said, I've talked about this extensively with Nomura, but I'm sure fans of the original are expecting to revisit familiar locations and scenes. So we have strong feelings not to stray away from that. 
from here on out, we're not drastically changing the story and making it into something completely different than the original. That is the key phrase I needed someone to say who was working on this. Even though it's a remake, please assume that FF7 will still be FF7 as usual. I really hope they stick to that because I don't, what you just described, I wouldn't love if they do that, right? I'm interested in them fucking with things, but I just hope that the at least it's not done in a way that is like that. That's like, dude, I'm good on multiverse shit or I'm good on, you know, these drastic swings to be like, she's not dead after all or whatever it is. Or even just like the or even I'm thinking of like, what was it? Mortal Kombat uh, at, or 12 or one where they just fought a big spooky time boss who was like, I'm the boss of time. And you're like, that's why all this shit is happening. Right. Like, all right, well, let's just punch the boss of time. Like, I don't. Well, it's so funny, though, because I feel, but I also feel like I love the idea of, like, sure, we'll do a remake, but we're not just going to, like, give you this. You know what I mean? Like, sure, you could scream us into making a remake for years and years, and we'll make it, but we're not just going to, like, do it exactly how you want. We're going to fuck with it a little bit because fuck you. Like, I don't know. There's some about that I kind of dig. It is fun. I did like the idea of the Whispers as these fandom stand-ins literally picking, dragging away characters when they're about to reveal something they're not supposed to. Like, Hojo literally just gets picked up and carried to another room right. when he was about to reveal something about the soldier program that he wasn't supposed to reveal yet. Right. Or uh, saving Barrett or cutting off, like, exit routes or, like, trying to re-kill Wedge and Biggs, like, in prematurely. There's even fun stuff with the greater Final Fantasy VII compilation universe where Intergrade or Intermission... They bring in characters from the PSP games like Nero and Weiss. Uh, the final Whisper Ghosts, like boss that happens before you go fight uh, Sephiroth. It's in the game that they are pretty much like apparitions of the bad guys from Advent Children yeah. who are fighting to make sure that their future after Final Fantasy, you know, their existence as canonically being part of the Final Fantasy universe isn't jeopardized by the new changes happening. Uh -huh. Like they are literally coming in from across the metaverse to like, be like, no, stop. If you change too much, we won't exist. Like, it's very cool. It's very cool. It's very interesting and very meta. And I do love meta. So it's, it's, I, I don't, there's something about enjoying entertainment that acknowledges its role outside of the universe of the entertainment. I do I do appreciate that. So we haven't even landed on this yet. It's one of the most iconic elements of Final Fantasy VII, done brilliantly, remade brilliantly in the, uh, the remake, uh, the music. One of the strongest elements, I would say, of Final Fantasy VII. Um, it was scored by the legendary composer Nobuo Uematsu, since that time, Uematsu has had left Square and forged his own solo career. Uh, so they had music director Kaiji uh, Kawamori oversee several strong Square composers as they took on this project, including Masashi Hamazu and uh, Mitsuto Suzuki, and even got Uematsu himself in for one new track. Uh, Kawamori said, there are three important highlights in the soundtracks of FF7 Remake. Music that has minor arrangements on their main theme and melodies from FF7. Those that are extensively arranged to give a new impression. And finally, completely new pieces. 
there's ab- there's this tug of war between the natural sounding orchestral compositions and the inclusion of synths, something that is inherent in the sound due to the cyberpunk aesthetic and sensibilities of some of the core composers. Uh, Mitsuto Suzuki is strongly, strongly influenced by the work of Vangelis uh, in films such as Blade Runner, Chariots of Fire. He's a synth guy, really good, strong for this project. And the dueling nature of technology and synthetics and things like that, i.e. Shinra and Midgar versus the orchestration of natural, like, of, like, wood instruments and stuff like that, representing, like, the life stream and... All of that, it, it, it's obvious, you know, music metaphor for what's happening in the game. Uh, and Uematsu returning is great. The new song is titled Hollow. It's a haunting ballad sung by Yash, the lead vocalist of Survive, said the prophet. April, how about we get a little, little taste of Hollow? it's a great it's a it's a beautiful track it's haunting i think it encapsulates what the game's all about but it feels modern it's really cool it's really cool that they got him back for that and uh of course they also as a lot of modern games do but this game does it very brilliantly the music is interactive with the gameplay there are at times three different versions of a track they will change depending on what the player is doing in game and it's very smooth very immersive the music is absolutely incredible in this game i am in love with the ff7 soundtrack it has just captured me for if i I hear certain tracks i am immediately transported it's like incredible i i just love 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 the the score of that game the original game and the what they did with the new one is like at times breathtaking one of the weird little factoids i picked up while doing research this week was the fact that uh masashi hamauzu uh, who helped with the music uh, or c- co-composed the music of this game uh, was actually uh, besides his do besides working on the original Final Fantasy VII was in the original choir singing Sephiroth in the uh, original One Winged Angel track. Yes, which I thought was very <laughs> hilarious. So yeah, all that all that combined, it's it's this shockingly good. I mean, I don't know. I I just I never expected it to be as good as it was. Mm-hmm. Tetsuya Nomura. Gets on a flight to Los Angeles, California in 2015 to be a part of PlayStation's E3 live stream, where they would first announce a Final Fantasy VII remake with a teaser trailer. Nomura said, There were no staff members around, so I was kind of just off to the side, standing there alone. When I heard the cheers from the crowd and the passion, I became overwhelmed and started shivering. I was walking like a fawn, just overwhelmed by the intensity of the crowd. I thought, This has become such a big deal, and I wanted to cry. After that moment, Square's stock prices rose to their highest since 2008. But it took five more years before fans got a more substantial taste of what was to come, with doubts arising, of course, over that time, whether this thing would actually even happen. And, uh, you know, and then also we find out it's going to be three games. That was kind of like a a big throw-off moment, you know? 
the game miraculously gets released during the pandemic in April of 2020. Kind of a, an amazing time for that game to drop for so many people who needed something, who weren't Animal Crossing fans and needed something <laughs> to like make them feel joy again in their hearts. And not long after that, you get Intergrade, which I also played. It's the uh, DLC for the game. Uh, it serves up an, introdu uh, an early introduction to Yuffie, a ninja working for Wutai who goes to Midgar to steal Shinra's Ultima Materia. It's a cool look at the character before we get to meet her in the original game. In the original game, she's actually an optional pickup, which is crazy to think about because there's so many fundamental <laughs> moments what? with her i mean there's a reason why you don't see her and vincent in a lot of the ending cutscenes. yes so they're they're vincent's also optional but you know they're fundamental if you know you know right and uh what happens is you actually encounter yuffie in area in this one area in the field and you have to like answer her questions correctly to get her to it's kind of persona-y now that i think about it you have to like you have to call her on her bullshit and whatever and she uh and answer questions a certain way and she'll join your party but she has that the, the wu-tai sequence is one of my favorites it's great like you would miss all of that um you know she's she's a really fun character real spunky you know badass of course um also, though, this DLC introduces the team-up attack mechanic, referred to as Synergy, uh, that will be in the new game. Uh, kind of reminds me of Chrono Trigger, as I mentioned before, and I'm happy to know that it's going to be in Rebirth as well, where essentially you can, you know, it'll it'll cause, I think, your meter to build slower, but you can do these, like, team-up attacks that'll be more powerful, so a little bit more strategy thrown into the battle system. Uh, so, yeah, that game came out exploded i mean what a huge huge boon for the play for playstation 5 4 and 5 for you know just add it to the list of amazing exclusives for the playstation and i it just it was an incredible experience and so the groundswell around rebirth of course is huge because it was awesome people loved it but you know there's definitely people having some qualms with the plot ghosts and stuff like that well but the plot ghosts are gone we purged the plot ghosts i think the finale of remake was them just being like, you can try, listen, plot ghosts, you had your fun, but we are going to do shit different. That was the grand message. So Rebirth, it was mentioned per early on about the three-part three, three part series. It's essentially the same team as the last game on, like, all fronts. As for what's to be expected in this game, of course, if you're familiar to the events of the OG, it will feature that legendary plot point, but many wonder if it will go down the same way. Katase said, we added new elements, and at the same time, we preserved the original thematic cores, while changing them slightly so as to give them a new direction. Wanting to go into more specifics, the theme of Destiny and the remake trilogy took on a slightly different meaning. The questions that need to be asked are, how immutable is what establishes Destiny? How far can we go to fight it? How much of what we do is the result of predestination, and how much isn't? However, there is another additional theme that will be explored in depth in this second chapter, and that is the bond, the relationships between the characters. Mm. Hamaguchi said, anyone who played the original knows what Aerith's fate is. He knows what awaits her, what will happen to her. Obviously, I won't reveal what will happen in Rebirth, but I want to underline how important the need to create bonds is in the game. Bonds between Cloud and Aerith and between all the other party members. We focused a lot on how the characters evolved throughout the game, not only during the main quest, but also in the side missions in which they develop their relationships. So I think we're going to get a lot more side quests where it's like just you and Barrett or just you and 
Tifa or whatever. And, you know, that, of course, is inherent with the synergy mechanic. And I think that was all just them trying to add a mechanic that strengthened the plot. But also, it was very. I'm very glad to hear they worked really hard on the Golden Saucer date sequence, <laughs> which is, I think, a really fun high point that's, like, not badass monster slang or any of that kind of stuff in the original game. It's, like, this sweet, genuine character-building sequence in the original. As long as I can get in that Ferris wheel with Barrett, <laughs> I will be all right. I, I, I'm very much looking for it. Golden Saucer, first time I played it, and every time since... Golden Saucer is always a part I look forward to. I'm very interested to see how they're going to do the mini games. Mm. I I was always from the moment they did the like rhythm game in the corneo sequence or whatever. I I I I was like, what is that snowboarding going to be like? <laughs> and that's not going to be until the third game probably. Mm. But still, I cannot wait to see how they handle because they just have handled everything so far in a really fun fresh way also the rts i wonder if they're going to do the real-time strategy fort condor mm. mini game which is such a weird part of ff7 i literally forgot that was a thing yes it's crazy it's a whole rts game it's fucking starcraft in there i mean it's a way simple well they they are adding a collectible card game that's just already we know that's coming. yeah oh yeah i saw that in the trailer i was like oh shit that makes me give some pause i hope it's a good one i can be very hit or miss with the card games <laughs> just Gwent, games. just more gwent i, I loved Gw gwent i'd be happy with i hate the final fantasy 8 card game mm. i despise i really liked gwent so i'm hopeful that it's a fun card game uh they also uh, uh also less explored side characters in the original game like priscilla from under hunan the dolphin girl <laughs> Uh, Dio, the guy who runs Gold Saucer, they play much bigger roles in this game, kind of like Jesse in uh, FF Remake. Very, very excited for this. Very interested to see how they handle. Like, I think the first game was like, how are you guys going to remake this? Like, how's this going to feel? How's the fighting going to feel? How are the characters going to look? This one's like, now you have some of the most legendary plot. Like, I mean, obviously there's one specific one, legendary plot moment has been referenced in years since all over the place. You can't go along without referencing this moment in video games, especially when it's, you talk about like... You cannot talk about this game. You cannot talk about this era of gaming without mentioning it. And it's happening in this of the trilogy, in this intro. Or is it? Or is or it? Or is it? And mm. I think everyone's clamoring to know how that's going to go down, how they're going to handle that. And so we're all on the edge of our seat collectively, like like just anticipating this release. I'm very excited. Obviously, can you tell? I'm so fucking excited. Oh, man, it's a good thing I was wearing my sword-proof jacket <laughs> today <laughs> that you bought me, Cloud. That would have really gone bad. Well, Jake, I think I've left it all on the dance floor at this point. Do you have anything else to say before we uh, wrap this up with some plugs? Uh, no, I think that's I think that's it. Uh, it's a game that was decades of yearning, and uh, son of a bitch, they did it. <laughs> son of a bitch, they pulled it off. Absolutely. It's brilliant. Uh, hopefully, so far, it has been pretty brilliant. Oh, God. So. Remember in the Final Fantasy, uh, remember in that making of documentary that had very little information 
uh, all the other creators were just filmed like straight ahead, like a normal interview. But Nomura had like an like a Dutch I, angle. I love like yeah, fucking brooding, cool guy. Like, it was so cool. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Nobody else is presented like that, but he's like covered half in shadow, he's and so he's in like side profile. Genuinely and... badass. I love that. Hell yeah! Shout outs to that uh, in the very boring <laughs> series of videos that I watched that were each man. Each of them were seventeen minutes, huh? Mm-hmm. Man, <laughs> all right. Uh, well, anyways. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope we did it justice. I know it's such a, man, I feel the pressure just covering it as a topic on this show, much less making it uh, over there in Japan. Must have been, must be a lot of pressure for those guys. So <laughs> thank you so much for joining. If you'd like to support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We do weekly bonus episodes. For $5 a month, add three episodes on the main feed. And for $15 a month, you can join us for our Sunday study session uh, every Sunday. Uh, like we did the we did the Final Fantasy VII demo for this one, mm. uh, uh, the Rebirth demo and stuff like that. Uh, it's always a good time. We, it's a hang. We, we talk about whatever we're covering. We enjoy, experience whatever we're covering uh, that week. And, uh, it's always a blast. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Also twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho. I stream all throughout the week. It's always a blast. I don't stream on Thursdays though. Fuck that because someone else streams on Thursdays and I believe his name is Jake. Oh, shucks. That's right. Uh, every Thursday, 7 PM Eastern. It's the cartoon dumpster, a cavalcade of animated oddities from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and maybe today. If you like Mystery Science Theater 3000 and you have fond memories of your Saturday morning cartoon blocks, this is the show for you. Just go to twitch.tv slash Puppet Jared. That's the name of my little VTuber avatar. I'm a, I'm a sassy little guy. Twitch.tv slash Puppet Jared. And hey, always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. Sephiroth! This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Thank you.